0: The thing that scared me the most was the Russian Navy scrambled. And that night, the night of 9-11, I had my own tent sent back. And I, I don't know why I was awake, but I, I hear something and I jump out of my tent. And the, the Russian Navy was had done a test ICBM firing and shot a rocket over... South side of Kamchatka, not far from our camp. I could see it going across the sky. I'm like, oh my God, what is happening?
1: That was Will Blair bringing us back to his 9-11 experience while in remote Kamchatka. Tigers, the KGB, and giant rainbows today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today hey how's it going today thanks for stopping by the fly fishing show check out our ask a pro segment where you can ask a question and get feedback on an upcoming episode just uh, head over to wetflyswing.com pro and submit your one-line question right now before we get started let's hear from our sponsors in today's world of mass-produced products stonefly nets has reclaimed the tradition of handcrafted care with their custom wood landing nets Stonefly's goal is to create a unique custom classic wood net that are second to none in quality and can be customized for that little extra touch. Please head over to wetflyswing.com stonefly to get your custom net today. That's wetflyswing.com stonefly to get started right now. The fly fishing film tour is back. Don't miss this year's 2022 F3T as it returns to theaters near you for another season on the water. Full of rod bending action, unforgettable storytelling from coast to coast, swag, and more from local conservation partners. Please head over to wetflyswing.com F3T to find a show near you. That's wetflyswing.com F3T or flyfilmtour.com. Check it out right now. Will Blair, a guy who's been leading Kamchatka wilderness trips for 25 years, breaks it all down today. We find out why this place is so much different than Alaska and other amazing destinations around the world. Why surface action for huge fish is one of the big uh, keys here. Uh, How they swing up mice. All sorts of good stuff today. Uh, This is definitely a record-breaking episode, so looking forward to sharing this one with you. Without further ado, here is Will Blair from thebestofkamchatka.com.
0: How's it going, Will? Great. Great. Um, you know, I, uh, uh my company's name is the best to Kamchatka, my second company. And we could talk about that for a little bit, but it's great. You know, it's cold here in Boulder, Colorado, it's zero degrees out and, uh, hoping for some snow for the mountains. And, you know, just thinking about the summer in Kamchatka. So nice. Thanks for, for bringing me on here, Dave. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think this is another one I just had, um, Oh, recently, Rick uh, Custish on, it was the same thing where I was like, man, your name has been popping out there for so long. And finally, we got him on. And I feel like this is the same thing with you. You know, your name. I've heard you out there a long time. And Kamchatka is such a huge uh, destination everybody wants to go to. You know what
0: I mean? So I think this is really cool. Yeah. And, you know, the thing I've always said is everyone should want to go there. Everyone should go there, whether they go with me, whether they go with my competitors it's really, you know, one of those, really the last great Pacific Northwest wilderness. And it's significantly different than Bristol Bay, Alaska. I, I worked in Bristol Bay for a decade and have spent a lot of time up on both sides, tick and and, and cat my park side. And Kim is a different animal and, um, uh, People still don't quite understand that. I don't think I, you know, I'm I keep banging the drum, but maybe we can get into that in a little bit.
1: Yeah, let, let's do that. Let's, uh, you know, typically we'll jump into a little bit on your background, but I, I think that's a big question for me because we've I was just talking to somebody yesterday about Alaska, You're like okay, you know, the trip, you know, and stuff like that. But just take us there. Explain why this Kamchatka is so different than the Alaska trip because that's amazing too, right?
0: Yeah. And so, you know, I am very forthright with people. I always say, if you want to catch a 30 inch rainbow, if that is your goal, really, you should go fish the knack, knack, the quejack or the Kenai. Um, having, you know, big or maybe the outlet of Kukaklik Lake or battle in late September. Um, those are lake associated fish. And, um, you know, that allows them to really grow big in that giant aquariums, whereas Kamchatka, everything is basically a riverine fish. So you're not, you know, a 30 inch rainbow in Kamchatka is a pretty, pretty rare animal has to survive a long time, has to get really lucky. And, you know, basically on Kamchatka, there's, there's really four systems where those big rainbow genetics are in the the systems, uh, everyone's heard of the Japan of a river where I first worked in 1997 and 98 for Katmai Lodge's program, and uh, that has 30 inch rainbow genetics in it. The 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 Kamchatka River has 30 inch rainbow genetics in it, although it's really kind of a hard nut to crack because it's two-thirds the volume of the Columbia when it dumps into the Bering Sea up by Uz It's a giant monster. But its tributaries also have 30-inch rainbows. So we fish like on our float trip, the Two Yurt River, we've caught 30-inch rainbows in it and and because and, and, it's a Kamchatka River tributary. And some of the 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 flyout rivers we fly to on the east side also have those big genetics. And then the Ozernaya, where we have our jet boat program, also has those big genetics. Um, and then the Opala River down south on the west coast has those big genetics. It, but it's still a pretty rare nut, you know. And, and I think the, you know, Chemcheck has lots and lots of 25 inches, so. though. And uh, so that's really one of the major differences that I tell people. The other thing I think is really super important is, um, so Bruce King, who was the head of the Kenai River Rainbow Trout Program for 25 years, he came as a guest with us to the Azranaya. I think it was two fourteen guy knows more I had a few biologists that have fish with me uh Roger bloom who runs the uh California wild trout program for thirty years been a biologist for California probably the best trout fisherman I've ever guided I wasn't guiding I just he watched that guy and uh, if he made a cast he was catching a trout <laughs> and he you know but but uh Bruce King took. Scale samples back from the Ozernaya, and called me later, and he said, "You know, I think your fish grow about fifteen or twenty percent faster than a comparable Kenai River fish." Oh wow! And and the reason, really, um, you know, Kemcheka has all the salmon, so these fish get flesh and eggs just like the Alaska salmon. But for instance, the Ozernaya has huge hatches of stoneflies, oh wow caddisflies, wow, mayflies. There's times you'll see three or four different mayfly species underwater. That's amazing. Um, in in June or excuse me, late June, early July, when we've always historically opened up as mid to early July, I mean you still are in the midst of massive caddis hatches every single day. And you know, those fish are looking up. So they're surface-oriented, and that's why perhaps the mousing has always been kind of the thing in Kamchaka, Uh, because really the fish for the beginning of the season have been eating lots and lots of stoneflies, lots and lots of caddisflies, and so that extra biomass that you really don't have in Bristol Bay or most of Alaska, I mean, you have uh, American Creek, coming out of hammersley lake has some decent hatches and then you have the copper river over on the keen or excuse me on lake iliamna has some pretty good hatches in it as well but those are you know those are kind of banana belt rivers with with cottonwoods in the drainage one of the things about that's really also true about Kamchatka is it's heavily forested um with deciduous trees so um you have lots and lots of birch trees there's five or six different, um, kinds of birch trees on Chemcheck and lots of cottonwoods, lots of, you know, so it's much, much warmer. And with all the volcanoes, it's super spring oriented. So, uh, like oh, wow. the Azranaya, Azranaya is a 120 mile long spring Creek that flows at 3000 CFS. Uh, and so that's kind of a, a fish factory <laughs> and a bug factory. And, um, you know, that river also has crazy amounts of sculpin in it as well. And the most sculpin of any river I've seen in Kamchatka, And, and, uh, so that, that is, you know, perhaps why the rainbows are abundant. They're very abundant. Um, plus there's no pressure. So,
1: and there's no pressure. Yeah, no, I mean, just, uh. Hammered at home. I mean, adding the bugs. Yeah. If you go up to Alaska, a lot of the places you'd, yeah, you don't see a ton of bugs, but there's lots of uh, carcasses and stuff like that. So that makes sense. This is really cool. So I mean, typically, um, you know, typically we go back and, you know, maybe talk about how you got into this whole thing. Um, Well,
0: I'm happy to give the story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I want to go there. I'm curious because this is a lot of, uh, I mean, for sure, I would like to hear how, you know, somebody might, you know, get involved with, or at least know, you know, kind of take us to the river and get a feel for what it's like. Um, and you've already started to do that, but, but talk about this Kamchatka. So first talk about, uh, fly fishing. How'd you first get into fly fishing? And then let's take it to how you actually got to where now it sounds like you're in Kamchatka a lot of the year.
0: Well, when we've been operating Covid has given us a big black eye obviously um sure i'm there two and a half three months you know you can get a 90-day visa and i've only overstayed my visa one time which was kind of a funny (laughs) story but um yeah most years for 20 years i stayed for two three months at a time um and spent a lot of time on the water i i for the last i don't know eight or 10 years, I don't do the in and out to town on exchange days. I, I prefer to stay out in the wilderness. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up in Southwest Michigan, Northwest Indiana. Um, uh, my dad was a big spin fisherman, loved bass fishing and bluegill fishing. And then, um, uh, when we were kids, we, we led a charmed life. He bought a, uh, they bought my folks bought a house on Corey Lake outside Three Rivers Michigan beautiful glacial moraine lake my dad wasn't much of a fly fisherman He, you know threw poppers for bluegills and rubber spiders for bluegills and which we grew up doing you know learning how to throw it high and you know behind you and just the basic stuff but then when i when i got in college, in high school i always had a, a subscription to fly fisherman magazine and, I, and my dad did and we had a, even though he wasn't a fisherman you know he he really encouraged my fishing habit and i was would rather be outside than in school and um when i was nine years old he gave me my first outboard motor a oh, five wow. and a half horse johnson and a 12 foot sea nymph boat and said Gee. here's yours you better take care of amazing. it amazing right so, yeah, I mean, he was, it would, we would go all day and no one would know where we were, you know, can, I can't imagine with nine, 10, 11 year old boys doing that nowadays, but that's the way it was. And we survived a lot of kind of hairy stuff, but then about six miles from my folks house, there's this little spring Creek in Southwest Michigan. And it's still kind of a secret and I'm not even going to say the name of it, but it flows through uh, some public land. And my folks used to drop us off when we were young and we'd worm fish it. I mean, there were giant brown trout in it. And then when I started getting into fly fishing, I would just, you know, every break in the summer times and stuff, I would go down there and, and I, I can vividly remember. Uh, it was a Hendrickson spinnerfall. Oh wow! And uh, catching my first real fish on a dry fly it was a, about a twenty-one, twenty-two inch female during a Hendrickson spinnerfall, and I heard her first. And that little spring creek became where I lived for a while, and it's still to this day. It's the biggest brown trout I've ever caught on a dry fly outside of like Tierra del Fuego or somewhere like that. But in a spring Creek, I taped it, I was in college, it was 29 inch brown trout. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful fish. And 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 that really sunk the hook. And then my dad's best friend, who is Jarvis Petticourt, who was an attorney, you know, really cool cat. You know, after I got out of college and flunkying around, he says, why don't you try and go make money? being a fisherman, you're, you're so nuts about it. Right. So a friend of mine, Johnny Arterburn and I wrote resumes to every lodge in the back of Gray's sporting journal. And then we went up and interviewed, I drug my, I owned a drift boat and was living in Fort Collins, Colorado at the time, drug my drift boat up in January. We were so poor. We we well, slept in the back of the truck on the bank of the Bighorn. Interviewed with Dave Egdorf, and I got my first job in Alaska. Oh wow! And yeah, and worked there. And then John Randolph came out with this article, and mm-hmm. I think it was April of 1993. Fly fishermen about this mysterious place and Kem- called Kamchatka and Japanova River, and you know, and and no people and huge trout and. I was just totally enamored, and my friend John didn't really like working for Dave Eggdorf's program because it was super hardcore wilderness. He he was kind of a city kid and from Denver, and 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 so he decided to switch to My Lodge. Well, everyone in the early nineties, mid nineties that interviewed at My Lodge. I mean, Eastern Rises, Frank Smethurst talks about this, and everyone who interviewed at Cat My Lodge in the 90s was told, well, if you come work for us, you'll get to go to Kamchatka if <laughs> really good, right? Yeah. And so, I was already out of my mind for it, so I actually interviewed in 95 at the Denver Fly Fishing Show, and just kind of made myself a burr in their bonnet, and um, went up and switched from from Western Alaska's fly fishing over to My Lodge found out the same thing that Frank did, that it was kind of a come on the carrot that they held in front of the horses. And cause I got there and all the other 30 guides had all been told the same thing. Right. Yeah. And, but you know, I was, uh, stubborn and willing to work hard and had, um, you know, really pushed, And then a good friend of mine who was one of the Kamchatka guys, Steve Perry, who ended up being head guide up at Dean River Lodge for years afterwards, he quit in the spring of 97 and he was a Japonaba guy. And so I ended up getting a go and went over to the Japonaba and, uh, was there the spring in the summer of 97. (sighs) it wasn't that good fishing. The fishing wasn't that great. Um, it had the hugest pink salmon run I've ever, you know, one of the biggest I've ever seen. I mean, there was pinks ran up the thing for three weeks straight. You couldn't hardly catch a trout, um, to save your life. Cause there were so many salmon around. I mean, oh, right. the, when they all died off in September and the water got clear and cold, then we had some pretty good trout fishing. and they're big whoppers right and then the summer of 98 uh the guys who were my bosses all quit the two bosses at catmite so they sent me over as the head guide and manager in 98 of the Shapanova program at least the american manager and uh which was kind of just a, a figurehead title didn't mean anything um and uh, the fishing was really really good when we when we opened up in July the water was low and clear um the the one rub with that river was the, the um it has kiramsky volcano in its drainage no oh, wow which is a super active little volcano they call it the little engine of kamchatka it's super active and it in the drainage whenever it rained boy you'd get blown out Oh, right. and so the spring the summer of 98 we were blown out for two full weeks two full groups got to fish one day on either end of their trip and i'm like man this is miserable and efficient was good prior to that when it was clear and then it cleared up and it was pretty good you know low clear dropping water it's really good but then and i just wrote about this on my facebook page um i was in town um in the summer of 98, and we were supposed to go to the Sopachinaya steelhead program. Myself, Monty Ward, and Ryan Lampers, we were guiding on Shapanova together, and this was our second year, and we were supposed to go steelhead guiding. Well, the owner of Cat My Lodge, Tony Sarpy, has now passed away. Um, and was notorious kind of you know, tough guy to deal with, and I went into a meeting in Petropavlovsk, Um, where Andre Sitsko, uh, uh, one of the partners back then, and Jan and Kutz, the outfitter uh, on the West Coast, uh, who the fly shop still works for on the Sedanka and the Prishnakova and some of their trout programs and their steelhead program, um, hands me the uh, contract he had just received from Tony, and it says – you know, if there is any complaint by an American client about food, lodging, transportation, blah, 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 uh, Yannick Coots Limited will reimburse Cat My Lodge Limited a thousand dollars per complaint. And I'm, I threw it down. I was like, that's nuts, man. And he's <laughs> like, does he think we're idiots? I'm like, yeah, he thinks everyone's an idiot. And so we didn't end up going for the first couple weeks to, the Sopachinaya steelhead program, and the two groups that didn't end up going came to Zyipanova. Well, as a kind of, you know, sorry guys, here you go, they decided to do an exploratory steelhead trip on the west coast. So we flew over to a river called the Kolpakova, and we landed on um, mid-upper Kolpakova, pretty upper Kolpakova, get out of the helicopter, unroll the rafts. In the first week we had some really experienced Alaska guys. I mean, before we had the rafts blown up, those guys had hooked 100 rainbows. bows. And all of us fished that week. We, You know, the lesson learned was all of them and we were piled into that particular 15 miles of river and we we everybody guy everyone the guides everybody fished that day i mean we we must have hooked five six seven hundred rainbows nuts most insane trout fishing and they weren't as big as your pot of a fish they were you know 18 to 25 inches but you couldn't dip your fly over the side of the raft literally and not have a fish swim up to the raft and grab it it was insane so we went back the next week with a group and spent the night and um and it was just as crazy maybe even more so and uh it was my 31st birthday the only time i've ever caught 100 rainbows on a mouse oh, in wow. a day and you know it was terrible it took from six in the morning till you know five thirty when the helicopters blades were running and i was getting number 99 and number 100 but you know really nuts well since this is, you know, uh, I, I like to not bury people, but uh, he's already he's already passed away. So Tony Sarp also at that time was kind of scamming uh, the Russian outfitter on the Shepanova by saying that uh, each week of 10 weeks of customers had one comp trip in it that was a group leader. Mm-hmm. And instead of paying the Russian for that guy, he would keep the money. Oh wow. We well, got caught every week by Andre, uh kind of all off the interpreter. And and at the end of the season, they told me, you know, uh uh really a cool guy who was the outfitter back then, uh Anatoly Kovalenkov. He passed away in two eight, super cool guy. Um told me, you know, tell your boss we're done when you go home. So I went home, uh, left. My Lodge's employment uh, went and told him, you know, I I really wasn't interested in guiding on the Alagnac and, in Alaska, and, and after I'd seen the Kolpakova especially, I was like, out of my mind, you know, here's this river where you can go catch hundreds of nice rainbows every day and there's no one there, and it's beautiful, crystal clear, braided, looks like the Connect Talk, or looks like the braids of the Alagnac, and just spectacular. And, and so I left, and then I um, uh, was introduced to a guy out of Colorado through another friend, and we started Kempchatka Expeditions. Hmm. And uh, that guy has also passed away. And um, I did 12 sports shows that next year I brought in. We did 16 people the summer of nine three groups the summer of 1999. But that's when I met Victor Reberkoff, my partner then and my partner now. And a really bright guy, former KGB major, uh, serious guy, honest guy, um, kind of no BS kind of guy. And we ran three weeks that year. I did 12, 14 sports shows that next year. My American partner. Um, he didn't. He was sick. He had cancer and w- was not really involved that much. And I we did a hundred and uh, no, we did fifty-two people. I think it was in two thousand, and then a hundred and three people in two thousand and one, including a Tidewater camp on the Kolpakova. And I did my first exploratory trip up north on Tuyert, where we do our current float trip, and. Then at the end of the season <laughs> after 9 11, oh. I actually stayed in Kimchak. I was in Kimchak on 9 11. Oh, wow. And I, and I stayed another couple weeks. And then uh, um, right when um, Kenny Morris started Flywater Travel, he brought a group the last week of September 2001, first week October, and we floated two year And um, really spectacular fishing. Um, but on the way home from that, uh, we land in a little village called Anif Gai to refuel the helicopter and Victor, my partner goes into the pilot's apartment and comes back with this, with this fax from our partner in the U S Rudy. And it says, you know, screw you guys. I'm done with you. I'm keeping all the money. You can keep the equipment. Well, I didn't have, Victor had the control of the equipment. I had control of nothing. So I I go home. He won't talk to me. He won't call my wife. My wife's trying to get him on the phone and won't talk to us, won't talk to us. Well, he and two of my former guides started a new river with all my money called Russian Rivers. I saw him at all the sports shows that next year. Holy crap. Oh, yeah, I was really I was pretty pissed, to say the least, especially considering one of them had been a friend and, you know, another one. So this is your
1: partner in this current My American
0: it, partner, your yeah. American
1: partner. He basically just said, uh, screw you
0: out of the blue. You're, we're done. Yeah. And he took about a one hundred thousand bucks. Wow, Uh, Victor Reberkoff, my current partner, sued him in the Denver court for breach of contract. He owed him $45,000. We still talk about it because all it did was cost Victor six grand to sue him and he got nothing. And Dave Catalinas, his attorney, I still see him whenever I do the Denver sports show. Um, And, you know, at that time, uh, it was really Victor and I were trying to figure it out. We were both pretty, you know, hurt a little bit. Um, we couldn't really figure it out how to keep going. We could have now in retrospect, but I, I called up the fly shop to give the owner a little business about something I heard. And, and uh, before that was over, he offered me a job and I went and I was hired as uh check, a director of Kim travel at the fly shop in Redding. Uh, we were living in Bend, Oregon. My wife and I, we moved to Redding. Um, and the year before I started, they had sent eight and I had actually met the owner at 98 on the Sopachanaya steelhead program. Cause we did end up going up there fishing and, uh, they had been sending, you know, eight or 15 people a year, but you know, we cranked it up. And after my second year there, we sent 262 people to Kamchatka and really, you know, I we brought in some other outfitters. Victor came in. We added some more programs. And, you know, things were going pretty good. But, you know, the fact of the matter is I'm a hands-on guy. I didn't like sitting in my office in California waiting for the trouble to hit me. When I would prefer to be on the ground looking people in the eye and saying, okay, let's fix that. Right. Like when Bobby Knight came in 2000 and he's at the Kolpakova camp and we have cots and, you know, he's a great big guy and he doesn't want to sleep on a cot. So I had two of the Russian guys build him a huge bed. Oh, nice. They sawed lumber out with a chainsaw. (laughs) That's awesome. And and made him this huge bed, you know, in, in the big weather port tent. So anyway. I worked at fly shop, and then I worked there there for three and a half years. It was a great experience for me. But then I left and started the best of Kamchatka, which is my current business, with Victor, my partner. And I named that – the the company name is really because of Victor Reberkoff. He's really a great outfitter. And the Azranaya River, where we have our jet boat program. Because I still, you know, on a day-by-day basis, I think that river is – unbeatable.
1: Yeah, this is good. This is good, Will, because you just painted a picture of, I mean, you, you talked about, there's so many stories there, right? I mean, you gave us the oh, whole God. history, which I love, which I love. <laughs> I mean, it brings us back to, you know, like you said, I mean, 20, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. And it sounds like the, the take-home message here is that you went to Russia, Kamchatka, and after seeing it, you're like, you know what, this is where I want to work. I don't want to work anywhere else. Is that, I mean, yep. and to you, That thing that made you feel that way was what, just everything, the whole experience, not just the fishing?
0: Well, you know, so when I went to work at the fly shop, one of the nice things about that place is they sent me to Chile – so I spend a lot of time down in South America, Tierra del Fuego. Um, I actually did a, a five-week, eight-lodge trip all over Alaska with them, which was really one of the great trips I've ever taken.
1: So how is that different, Will? Like when you think of Tierra del Fuego, because that's another place where everybody's like, "Okay, let's go down there." What's the comparison there? Because you've got giant browns. Why is Russia so much for you? You know, why is it such
0: more? It sounds like the the adventure. Well, for one, it's pretty. I mean, Kamchatka is a stunningly beautiful place. I mean, maybe the most beautiful place, including uh, Patagonia. I think Kamchatka is stunning. Because uh, it's so green, it's so just in big mountains and volcanoes, and right. it's uh, you know we call it jungle trout fishing because you're you know it's really a deciduous rainforest. It's All right. crazy, spectacular, yeah. beautiful in the summer because you have snowfields and glaciers, and and you know you go like Kluchevskaya volcano. Which is a World Heritage Site? It starts at almost zero elevation and goes to sixteen thousand feet, right in front of you. I mean, it's just one of the most stunning area. It's a World Heritage Site. I mean, it's just over the top, beautiful. And, and you know, and then the fact of the matter is, when you step into a river and you, you start fishing down it, you, you're pretty sure no one's fished there in a long time. Right. if ever, right? yeah, And, you know, the fish really behave very differently. And they're native. This is not a stocked fishing program. These are not, you know, so the Tegu River on the west coast is what they call the birthplace of rainbow trout, steelhead, and salmon. And, you know, we fish that a lot on our flyout program. A lot of it's tributaries. The fly shop does the Sedanka and the Prishnikova float trips and and, you know, it's just the fish behave the way they're supposed to. And if you think there's a fish at a spot, 90% of the time there is. And if there's not, you step down five feet and there's one there.
1: <laughs> so when you're doing this, Will, you don't, you're not ever out there like after all these years, kind of at that point where, man, you know, I've caught so many fish. I'm kind of getting tired of this, you know, the fishing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it feels like that's not the case for you. It's more. Uh, It's just you love catching fish, and the experience is always there in Russia.
0: Well, yeah, and the the style of fishing. So one of the reasons I really am happy to do this um, podcast with you, Dave, is because the wet fly swing. Yeah. So basically, that's what we do on Kamchatka, other than when you're upstream and across or dry fly fishing. The rest of it's basically a wet fly swing. Oh, it is. Yeah, and we're downstream and across.
1: Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's dig into a little bit on the, you know, because I wanted to talk about, we're going to get to how somebody might be able to do this. I know it's not easy, but let's just bring it to the river. So let's pick a river because we also have the steelhead versus trout thing, which obviously we've got a lot of steelheaders that listen to this as well. But if we're talking trout fishing, take us to one of those rivers you've been talking about where somebody can see some crazy stuff and talk about how you catch fish there.
0: Oh, so I'm looking at a picture on uh, the wall of my office at a place we call the big bluff. And it's down below the canyon on the Oz. So the way we run our programming on the Oz is uh, (laughs) we break the river into beats. Mm -hmm. And each guide for the summer gets a particular beat. And for years and years and years, I would take uh, the canyon downstream, which is the farthest down, uh, craziest jet boat driving through the canyon. And you know maybe the most challenging fishing because it's a much bigger river i mean the area i'm looking at is 150 yards 200 yards wide oh, wow. and, you know you can you can make mistakes there but by picking the wrong water but like the place i'm looking at the big bluff you you park the boat you get out and it's all lava ledge rock for half a mile below you and you just cast it downstream and across and you know one of the things that's very fascinating is we can talk about mouse fishing because that's how we do it it's downstream and across and we we cover water and you can do it in the middle of the river you can do it against the bank so what i tend to do um, is move out to where i can cast into the bank and out to the middle both directions and then start going downstream and then scott howell really taught me you know pick a spot way down river and kind of head towards that spot and um he's a steelhead guy right and yep. oh, yeah yeah uh, and you know was also you know one of the guys that mentored us up at My lodge for trout fishing but it's it's pretty much step casting and you fish hmm With mousing, you know, one of the funny things is I've seen a lot of guys. I've seen some demonstrations where guys will, you want to stick your rod up in the air and jiggle it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you, when we mouse fish and you use, you know, almost a gurgler style mouse like the Morse 2.0 mouse or the Mister Hanky or something like that with a gurgler style face and cast out, drop the rod tip. I don't mend ever in Kamchatka or very rare. I even let it belly a little bit and then drop my rod tip. And then it's a slow chug, a lift and you let it come all the way around, hang below you a couple strips up, nothing take a step down, cast to the inside, the outside cover both directions. And the thing about it with these trout, it's there, They're going to come after it, and they don't, you know they they don't they miss it, but they don't give up. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, there's lots and lots of times where um, one of the things that uh, I started in 2005 was hook size restrictions because I noticed, you know, these big wide gap. We used to tie all our mice on like Timco. 80 89 size twos and things like that it just killed tons of trout yeah they're just taking it yeah down in the gills so we started using you know this morsh 2.0 style and small stinger hooks and things like that and still the big body tube flies are really good tube mice um and the fish come after it and you you pull it away from them and you can put it right back down in the same spot and it's almost well i've watched them from up high they will see that thing coming and they'll triangulate on it and they'll hit it the second it hits the water oh wow yeah sweet and they're super aggressive and they you know it's like a toilet bowl flush and (laughs) and and, it and you have to do kind of the steelhead set if you Do a real fast set, you're going to miss them over and over and over again. You want to do a nice, slow, solid set over your uh, opposite shoulder or the shoulder that it's moving uh, that direction. Um, And you get a good hook set. And with these small stinger hooks, it gets them right in the corner. And and it's beautiful. But the thing about it is there's times where you can hook them. They'll jump, throw the hook land and turn around and come back and grab the fly again. I mean there are lots of instances where we've hooked fish three, four, five, six, seven times, solidly hooked, and they're still gonna come get the fly. And I, I don't know if that's a um has to do with genetics. Um because if you talk to the Russian biologists, there are uh, different Genetic strains of rainbows on Kamchatka, they call them Kamchatka rainbows, or they call them American rainbows, believe it or not. And the Kamchatka rainbows look a little bit closer to a C-run cutthroat. Oh, wow. Like more spotting and stuff? More spotting. They will have cutthroat splashes under their jaws. Oh, yeah.
1: They have cutthroat. So these are cutthroat, but they're not cutthroat at all. They're not cutthroat. That's crazy.
0: According to the biologists. They're Kamchatka rainbows, and 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 the American rainbow that they call looks more like an Alaska rainbow, m- less heavily spotted, more no cutthroat slashes, uh, more silver.
1: What do those rainbow you know up in Alaska have? Like, what are they called? They're super
0: spotted too. What, you know what the I'm leopard rainbow, the yeah, leopards. Yeah, so so it's similar to that. Yeah, so we have basically the same thing. There, There's leopard rainbows all over Kamchatka as well. And, you know, they, they, they're very aggressive. Just like the leopard rainbows of Alaska, you know, they look a lot like the Connect Talk or the Good News. One of those rivers in Alaska look just like those. Um, uh, the, the, so when you start working down the big bluff run, I mean, you can work down that thing for half a mile and at the very very bottom of it it drops into this huge pool and i mean at one time i was there with uh, skip bartow who's been a lot of times with us and we had uh i had caught a live sculpin and we ended up putting you know we put it on the hook and drop it off the edge where it goes from you know ankle deep on this lava ledge rock sure. into 10 feet of water <laughs> hold it there (laughs) like 10 huge rainbows just smash the thing and that particular area is one of my favorites is why i have a picture of it on my wall um i've seen a school of sculpins in that spot and and you know really super productive but the deal is with Jack, if you don't get a bite it's why it's step casting if you don't get a bite you just keep moving right? They're not there. That's exactly yeah. right. And and I tell guys, you know, if you're going to cast over and over and over and over to the same spot, your second, third, whatever, every cast after the first one without a bite is wasted.
1: That's, less. that's it. And this is, that's the cool thing about this because, you know, I was thinking about this, like, okay, steelhead versus trout, Steel, you know, what do you want to do? But the thing is, it sounds like this is just kind of like steelhead almost on steroids for trout. Is that kind of what it is?
0: Yeah, you know, and the, the thing about steelhead on Kimchack, and it would be lovely because I'm looking at another picture of me, Scott Holland, and Ryan Lampers uh, holding a triple of Cromers on Sopachinaya in 98. I mean, it's really, really good when it's really good. It's like all steelhead fishing. When it's really bad, it's really bad. Yeah, right. And, you know. and Like it is now. And so, uh, you know, I don't know, really. The steelhead of and just everyone wants to know.
1: Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. The CRC system from Trestle provides secure and convenient storage for your fully rigged fly rods with unsurpassed gear protection. Every CRC system comes with secure mounting clamps, padding in the reel compartment, and their proprietary suspended rod liners. Leave your gear on your vehicle full time or quickly take the CRC system down and telescope it into carry mode in just a few minutes with the fastest and easiest to use mounting system on the market. From the very first time I connected with John, I knew this was going to be a great fit for the podcast. Uh, Making it easier and faster to get on the water is a huge part for me, especially in the ever crazy and increasingly busy world not only are these rods secure for me and the family but they are always rigged and ready to go equipped with their patented protective no snag reel up design this is not your average rod carrier carrying your rods with reels facing up means more protection for your guides blank reel seat and also allows for a better fit if you have a hatchback too much good stuff here for me to cover it all so i'm gonna have to send you over to uh, trestle and check it out for yourself You can go there right now. Just uh, take a look at wetflyswing.com slash trestle, and you can get started right now. That's trestle, T-R-X-S-T-L-E. That's T-R-X-S-T-L-E. You support this podcast by clicking over through that link to check out what John and the trestle crew have going right now. Okay, back to the show. How is that going? Yeah, I've, I've heard Kemcheka's is doing, like, actually, this is the one place where things are doing well for Steelhead still.
0: The reason why that is is one is remoteness, um, two is they are a uh, Red Book species, which is basically uh, a version of our Endangered Species Act. Oh. So to fish for Steelhead on Kemchak, you have to go through. Uh, Wild Salmon Center, the Fly Shop represents them, and Moscow State University. And for they've been going up to a place called Cape Utolik, which is this little knob on the west coast of Kamchatka, because the steelhead in Kamchatka are only from Cape Utolik to Usbolsheresk down south. That
1: whole that's a small area, <laughs> comparatively to like the west, the Pacific Rim
0: yeah comparative it's like maybe a 300 mile long area with a bunch of rivers but it's still geographically pretty small so they they put them on the red book listing and you can't you know i can't say i'm gonna start a steelhead program on no, and i'm it's gonna all research yeah. yeah yeah it's all research and and so they have on capitolic they have uh bio stations with Wild Salmon Center, Moscow State University, funded with angling dollars. And so they have people watching them because no one ever wants to use the the dirty word of Kamchatka, which is poaching. Um, You know, the rivers like we were on the Sopachinaya, I don't think anyone's sport fished that since Katmai Lodge's last year there in 2000, so 21 years ago, right? I had a uh, biologist friend of mine tell me it's still good, and that's probably just because it's so remote and so hard to get to and so expensive to get to, and, you know, some of the rivers down south. So actually in 2000, right before um, my original business, Kamchatka Expeditions, fell apart, I had signed a contract with uh, Wild Salmon Center to start a a steelhead program on a river called the kroto One of the issues I always had with like those steelhead programs up north and the Sopichinaya where we were is if the water's up or down and there's no fish coming through or you can't fish it, guess what? You're you're playing pinochle, right? And so because you know, they're, they're kind of tundra creeks. They're they're tannic colored, um, where you were standing in ankle deep water two days before is now up to your waist and you're going to drown if you put your toe in and, and the fish are running through the willow bushes. And and so I was always like, but then when we came out of the Sopitania in 98, uh, we stopped at the Krota Godova and Monty and Scott went out and caught a dozen big steelhead in an hour and a half. And that river, that one, the and the Kolpakova, where I ended up having my uh, tent camp, um, all have steelhead in them as well. But they're somewhat accessible because there's road there for Gazprom. I don't know which is a big gas consortium. And I don't know exactly what kind of shape those rivers are in. Uh, I I did read, and I don't know what the situation is, but there was an Indian company going to put a big coal mine on the kroto But there's some others to eat you. So my plan was, because those rivers down south are bigger, they have good rainbow populations in them, that if you don't have any steelhead coming through, you can go trout fishing, Right. And at least have something to do besides sit in a tent and look at each other.
1: That's the big one, right? That's the big thing here is that you got, uh, yeah, steelhead is just it's not as um, you can't count on it, right? I mean, you got the trout up there. If you're going to plan a trip to Kamchatka, it sounds like this rainbow trout fishing is the thing. Well, it's this, and like we said, it's probably the thing you can do. You can actually set this up versus steelhead, where it's more of a research type of deal,
0: right? You know, and 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 the, there's one of the things. Uh, Uh, that uh, is true about Kamchatka is there's lots of clear running rivers. It's not, you know, you're not dealing with lots of glacial rivers. So, you know, you have super clear running rivers all over the place. Um, And if, pretty much across the board, if the river has um, a particular plant in it, which is Kamchatka buttercup, um, if you look at a lot of the videos, you'll see this green plant under, it's a flowering plant. Well, It likes to live in water, two and a half mile an hour water, slow water that uh, the trout like. Um, one of the things I learned doing all the exploratory trout pro- trips over the years, <laughs> the Russian, the Russian uh, pilots always would love to drop you way up in the mountains. You know, and you drop we did the Rososhna on the east coast exploratory trip. I mean, my God, they dropped us dang near up in the mountains. And, you know, certainly there were kings spawning and stuff, but we didn't see you don't see it oh, you're trout. Too high. Yeah, you don't see the trout. You see grayling and dollies, but those rainbows like to be out on the plains. Yeah, gotcha. Where the water slows down and warms up a little bit. And and so, you know, I've always advised people, you know, if you want to go salmon fishing. Stay in Alaska.
1: Oh, really? So so Russia isn't the place for salmon?
0: Oh, yeah. Kamchatka? Well, I think Kamchatka would be the place for salmon if – I mean, I can't imagine what the lower Azranaya would look like during the Silver Run. I mean, it must be insane. But I've only been down to the mouth one time. That was opening day of 2014. It took me five hours by jet boat to get there. Oh, wow. This you is know? Just,
1: so that's it. It's just too – the remoteness is part of this. So, in uh, and, and obviously, there's a ton of places. I want to dig back into, you know, the the fishing and maybe some of the other areas. But um, let's talk uh, briefly about, you know, getting there, like what it takes. Like if somebody is listening right now and they're thinking, okay, uh, you know, I've been wanting to do this. How do I do this? Talk about that. If somebody's in the U.S., how do they
0: put this together? So that's somewhat of a challenge. The real bottom line. (laughs) Let's hear it. Give give us the, give us a rundown
1: because I mean, there's people right now that like, like me, I'm like, okay, this sounds pretty cool. Like, how does this happen? But is this kind of like a lottery sort of thing? You're lucky.
0: So it's either really hard or really easy. And so for many, many years, knock on wood, it happens again this year. We are able to fly from Anchorage to Petropavlovsk on a 737. Uh, we used to do it on a TU-154, uh, the old Russian jets. It's a four 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 and a half hour flight from Anchorage to Petro. It's easy. You go up on Sunday, you know, as as the schedule was for many, many years, and as we hope it is this summer, you go up to Anchorage on Sunday, spend Sunday night, you know, in Anchorage, go out to Simon & Seafords, have a nice dinner, and then Monday morning at 7 a.m., you get on the airplane, fly to Petropavlovsk. Uh, Once you get to Petro, I mean, it's really, that's easy. Um, Over the years, we've been forced by... Airplane problems, other things to take people through Seoul, Korea, to Khabarovsk, to Petropavlovsk. You know, we had people uh, a couple times go through Moscow to Petropavlovsk, it, you know. They're long. Those are long, long trips. I mean, you're looking at the kind of trips at like the Seychelles or or Tierra do Fuego level travel. It's hard, hard travel, you know, and and compared to a four and a half hour flight from Anchorage. So Yakutia Airlines is lining up right now to fly this summer for eight or ten weeks from Anchorage to Petropavlovsk. And, you know, one of the the real key factors is you, it, one of the things that's really unfortunate about Kamchatka is, huh, you'll find this funny, I think a lot of people do, is there's not enough good outfitters. So as an American, I doubt very many Americans are going to call Andre, whoever, and say, I want to come trout fishing with you. You know, what can you tell me about your program on the upper Apollo River? So the Americans, as I do, I do the marketing sales and I talk to everybody and I email and I handle it. My Russian partner, Victor, he's a hunter. He, he can tell you everything about shooting a moose, shooting a bear, shooting a, a bighorn sheep. But he doesn't know which end of the fly rod to grab. And so, you know, they've always really, he's always relied on me to introduce and bring the customers and, and that works out great, but you know, I'm one guy and we have three programs, maybe we'll expand to other programs in the future, but I, I have a limited amount of bed space. The fly shop has certainly expanded their programs and, and done more stuff, but they also, you know, they have. You, the real key is to find somebody who's going to be an incredibly reliable Russian partner, because that is not always the case, or an incredibly reliable American partner.
1: That's right. So you guys don't have a problem filling trips up here. This is not something where you're like, oh, we're worried about getting uh, filling all these slots. It's all covered. You don't need to do
0: a heck of a lot of marketing. Is that the case? So well, I do quite a bit of marketing, and 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 pre-COVID. It was always, you know, a scramble to fill, you know. So the Azernaya, where our jet boat program is, has always been the easiest to fill. Um, We take eight people a week there. We have four jet sleds. We're on a super remote, insane river. We have little four cabins, two people at a jet boat, Svetlana Halavina, who runs our, the program is an English teacher. She's the best. I'll put our food at that program against any lodge in the world. Really? Any lodge in the world. So
1: this is the lodge. So this is like your Kamchatka lodge trip versus, yep. say, throwing out the rafts and doing the remote
0: raft trip. So we we don't have a trip where we don't have cabins. Oh, gotcha. So our float trip below Two Yurt Lake, there's five sets of cabins we've built. And so people float in between the sets of cabins. Um, you know, I've done a lot of tent camping over the years and remote float trip tent camping. That's fine, but you know, for instance, you're just not going to get the demographic who has won the time and the money. Yeah, you got to make this comfortable. This is yeah. a,
1: this is an expensive trip. So yep. somebody that's coming wants some like like you said,
0: Bobby Knight doesn't want to sleep on a cot. No, he doesn't want to sleep on a cot. He doesn't want to pack his bags every day. And so guys go to the Azranaya Lodge, and they have their own cabin, and they explode in their cabin, and they cruise on down to the dining room, and Svetlana has coffee at 5.30 in the morning, and you know she's making breakfast to order and has a giant pile of blini or crepes And, and it's, you know, they go out and fish, they come in, they grab a beer and it's real, you know, real comfortable. And, and so, and, and you're getting the level of fishing that is expected in Kamchatka That, that's really a key. Um, One of the things that, uh, uh, unfortunately, some of the rivers closer to town, see with all our programs, we're 350, 400 miles from Petropavlovsk.
1: Yeah, you fly – so you go to Petro. If you can get there from Anchorage or you start there, then you fly in with a small plane to your –
0: So, well, it, it's very, very, very straightforward. We, If you look – you land in Petropavlovsk, and if people are to look – and I think this is really important, certainly with all fishermen on Kamchatka, to understand this. When you look at Petropavlovsk, you land – it's in the Avacha River Valley right on – the, sea, uh, the the Bering Sea, uh, Vacha Harbor, and it's completely surrounded on all three sides by giant mountains. So back in 207, after, boy, I remember Bobby Knight, when we had the Kolpakova camp, we had to fly from Petro by helicopter to oh, camp. Oh, by heli. Yeah, so uh, to date, small planes have not been developed on oh. and They're talking about it. How long of a heli flight is that from uh, Petro to the camp? Well, so in 2007, we made a, a company decision. We're not going to fly out of Petro. And here's why. Because you land in Petropavlovsk in early August, 80% of the time it's going to be fogged in. Oh. So you can sit there like we did with Bob for two days. Oh, damn. And you're on a six-day trip. Get, you've lost two days.
1: And that's no fun sleeping, uh, sitting there at Petro for
0: two days. No, no. And so based on where we are on our programs, we jump on a bus, we drive over and around the mountains. It's about two and a half, three hours. Now it's all paved into the Kamchatka river Valley, which has got a huge rain shadow and once we get to Milkova, it's about three hours by bus. It's all paved now. We get to Milkova. We jump on a helicopter there. Oh, I see. And then we go up to a small village called Kazaresk refuel in Kazarevsk. And then and that's about 45 minutes by helicopter. And then... Uh, depending on which program. So our Oz and I and our float trip guys stay on the big helicopter. Our flyout guys with rainbows from above jump on the little helicopter and they separate there. But then the Oz guys fly another 50 minutes up to the Oz.
1: I see. This is definitely a logistical, I mean, uh, a challenge. So you guys, so if somebody wanted to do this, right, they, they have the money, this is no big deal. You recommend they either call like you or the fly shop, like who are the, who are the players up there? They're like, I can't
0: remember. Are there a few of them? It's or me there? and the fly shop. And just two. Well, you know, so Oozle Expeditions was bought out, um, I think in the f- summer of two nineteen, And and you oh, know, they really cut their teeth there when Paul O'Rendell, owned it, but he's no longer involved. And so I can't really say, I don't know much about them. But what, you know, it's you guys in the fly shop or, or the, yeah, it's kind of me in the fly shop. And you know, this is back circling back to what, uh, you know, if, if there were other, <laughs> other really good American Russian partnerships, right. then I I'd be happy to say, yeah, go with them, go with me, go with whoever. But you know, right now it's just the two of us, where I can feel comfortable saying, yeah, you know, people are going to get a good trip because we live and breathe on repeat business. Uh, Two of my favorite repeat guys, and we have a bunch of them, but two of my favorite repeat guys went on two year float with us in 2012 or 13. And then in 2014 on kind of a whim, I started a full flyout program. I call Rainbows from Above, where we stay at uh, my Russian partner's uh, Spring Bear Hunting Lodge on uh, f- the west side of Two Yurt Lake. There's hot springs right at the lodge. He's got beautiful cabins, and we have insane access to both west and east coast rivers and we had these two guys come and they had been on our float trip the year before and they came and, and they're booked to go for their fourth time to that program and and they've raised their families in Bethel Alaska. Oh nice. Which is a unique town as well. Yeah, well they they have, you know, they have their own jet sleds, they have their own uh Dave has a uh, Piper Cub and they used to have uh, sleds up on the Kiseralic and some of those Kuskokwim tributaries and they went over. I will never forget that we, we had discovered the week before a small tributary of a river called the Shishay and gosh, I haven't fished it since 218 and no one's been there guaranteed and uh, it's full of giant rainbows. And we, I remember going over with, with them walking over from the helicopter and Jim, Says to me, one of them, he says, Will, what the heck is that? I'm like, What are you talking about? He says, That, those giant red things in the river. I'm like, Jim, you live on the banks of the Cuscoquim. What are you talking about? Those are kings. He goes, Yeah, but we haven't seen 50, 60 pound kings in the Cuscoquim in 20 years, man. And all those kings are twenty or 50, 60 pounders that are spawning in this little tributary of the Shushe. And, you know, and a 50 pound fish is huge. Oh, they're there. And, and the genetic pool of Kemchek is still there in some places and many places. And, you know, if they don't pound them too hard, it's going to be there forever. And, um, you know, so it's a
1: numbers, you know, I think about that because the Alaska, I always think of, okay, Alaska is our, it's the last place, right. Where you could have, because, you know, California salmon, and there's lots of issues, but up there in Alaska seeing issues now, but you're saying <clears throat> Russia doesn't really see that and that's mainly just because the pressure
0: oh it still has issues i mean kim is heavily commercially fished and there's also poaching for red caviar um one of the things i've always said and i i, I made a will uh, uh, put a plug in for a movie i made called fly fishing in the anthropocene which was oh, nice. um in the fly fishing film tour in 217 but it's on youtube and it, it, it is a real honest Brutal look at the biggest problem on Kamchatka, which is red caviar poaching in gotcha. the headwater rivers. And you know, one of the things that is really uh, interesting is is the attitude in Kamchatka is definitely changed about some things, and hopefully changing. But you know, it's big money, and yeah. uh, uh, I think caviar is twenty seven dollars a pound in wow. Petropavlovsk right now. How do you spell that uh, name of the movie? Uh, Fly fishing in the Anthropocene, a, a like oh anthropo- yeah yeah <laughs> I can't even say it like Anthroposophy or you know in the Anthrop the time of humans. I'll put a link in the show notes for that so we can take a look at it. Yeah, it's, it's on YouTube and um, it, it's pretty informative. You get to see me cry and oh wow yeah it's uh, why were you crying? Well, because I mean I have a twelve year old daughter and I wonder if she's going to be able to see. What I've seen, maybe, maybe just for the everything. I mean, not only just for the sheer number of fish and the wilderness and the you know the untouched nature of the fact that we land on these rivers in Kamchatka and you can drink the water and and there's no one there and you know I had a guide Baird Ames tell me a long time ago he had a big scuff on his hand and I'm like man you need to take care of that and he looks at me and goes what for man even the dirt's clean here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> How much of what you do is uh you know when you look at uh your impact do you think what you're doing is helping preserve protect that uh Kamchatka? Mm, I
0: don't know, maybe. I mean, you you know the, the the poachers don't like to be seen, you know. So if we're running around, they they don't li- they like to hide.
1: Yeah. But nobody's doing much to protect uh from Russia.
0: Actually, that's not the case. And, 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 and they, they try, but it's such a big area. And, you know, it's so yeah. remote. And every year they have what's called Putin. Like this year was Putin 2021, where they the federal government funds uh fishing game to crack down on poachers. You know, it, it, it's like many places in the world. It's hard. That money money talks – Walks right, yeah. And so there's not enough guys who are willing to, you know, lay it on the line. It's dangerous work. Maybe can get paid off. I, I'm not going right. to go into the whole. Oh, well, it's Russia, right? It's Russia. It's Russia. You know? Yeah. yeah.
1: And, <laughs> I mean, just just Putin is right. You throw you throw Putin out there. He's. It sounds like though he is a wildlife. You know. So I mean, it sounds like there's positive, but it is it is a guy that's got some crazy stuff going.
0: Well, you you know, and, and I don't want to get involved with too much of that, but he, he has done some, some good stuff for wildlife. They just saw the first tiger tracks in 50 years up by Yakutia, not in Kamchatka, there's no tigers on Kamchatka, but up by Yakutia North. So he really put in some initiatives. There's a great book. I think everyone should read called the tiger. And uh, by John Valiant, and it's about a, a tiger over by uh, Khabarovsk, by the Sikitalin, uh the Tiger Reserves, uh, where the Amur Tigers are, eats a couple of guys. And this, you know, he goes in and John Valiant writes, it's a beautiful, incredible book. If, you, if people want to really understand what Eastern Russia is about, because Eastern Russia is not Western Russia, Eastern Russia is a different animal. And if they really, the, the Tiger by John Valiant, it's a brilliant, brilliant book. And, and you know, when you read it, you're like, wow, it's the end for those Amor tigers. But maybe maybe Putin read that book because he really, really has cracked down. The tiger population has increased on the Amor uh, tigers and Saketalina and that whole area. And they've seen for the first time in 50 years, tiger pug marks up north by Yakutia, which is quite a far away away, which means they're spreading out, you know. Yep. Just like the wolves, probably a similar deal where give them time. Yeah. And they're an apex predator. You need them. Yep. And, you know, living in Colorado, boy, I'll get myself in a trick bag here. I mean, if you go to Rocky Mountain National Park, all the rivers are fenced off because they try and keep the elk off of them because they browse everything to nothing, that's right, and you know it affects the river system. So,
1: which is what the wolves did. Remember, you know that study in uh, Yellowstone, right? right? They brought the wolves back, and the wolves basically kept the Yellowstone or kept the elk off of the riparian. And then this whole ecological change happened to bring it back to more natural, right?
0: Right, and the trout fishing gets better, and the the, the rivers get colder, and they have more shade, and you know their banks are deeper and cut off. You know, it's a, so we the one thing you know, we probably should touch on um, with Kim check is a number of brown bears.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's dig into that. What, what is the, uh, cause I, there's so much there. It sounds like it's just, I mean, now we're talking about tigers, right? So like it's, it's got it all,
0: but how are the
1: brown bears or how are the bears different from Alaska? Or is it a similar deal?
0: So there are no tigers. I just want to repeat no tigers on Kim Cause they scare the life out of me. <laughs> oh, oh, you don't like tigers. Well, I like them, but if you see a tiger, it's probably the last thing you're going to see. Right, yeah, you can see a brown bear every day, and you're just going to survive it. Um, so there's about twenty thousand. They think brown bears on Kamchatka now, and and one of the things that I like to tell people because you know people hear Kamchatka and they think it's like two rivers. It's the size of California and Oregon combined. Oh wow! So it's a Jeez. huge area. You know, it's a massive, massive area, but still small. But you know. Has big numbers of brown bears because a lot of salmon. Obviously, um, they they get hunted on Kamchatka, so they are relatively afraid of humans. That said, they will eat you, and you know it's a you have to be very careful. But you know, for instance, I in twenty years of guiding there, I've never carried a gun. It's illegal. Uh, I, I bear spray. I, I don't really carry because I don't want to handle having that on my hip all day. What about bells? No, I clap my hands. I yell like on the Ozrenaya where we have jet sleds. They they know they hear the boats. They hear us banging around. We're a couple people together on our float trip program. You can get a little closer to them because you're quiet. Um, and on our flyout program is when we can probably get the closest to him because it's just us walking. But, you know, I clap my hands. We stay together. We tend, you know, tend to walk the bear trails all the time. They're incredible bear trails everywhere, but you don't walk silently through the woods unless you want to step on one. No, it's like, Hey bear, you're yelling. I yeah. Come and yell, yelling, you know. yelling, yelling. Cause you'll hear them. You'll crash off ahead of you and get out of the way they don't want trouble um a lot of them know what the working end of a, of a gun is all oh, right and so the big bears you just won't see them or you'll see them in the distance the young bears are ones that cause trouble like at the oz camp one uh, one summer we had one who'd come in and steal pepsi <laughs> only pepsi no kidding. Like open the cooler and grab a Pepsi. No, no. We have like this dugout storage area in the hillside behind the, the dining room kitchen where, you know, we've dug a, a thing into the hill to, to cool, keep, you know, oh. carrots and gotcha everything, the storage place. And it's right across. There's a little creek right behind uh, the dining room. I mean, 25 feet that, uh, you know, is cold and we throw beer in the bag in there, but that dugout area, they, he'd come in and grab a six pack of Pepsi. And, you know, one time he grabbed a wheel or a different one, grabbed a wheel of cheese, like a $250 wheel of cheese. And that thing still hasn't pooped, that, <laughs> that poor bear. But they, 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 you know, they, they can be, it's the young ones that are troubled. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys have to ever, like, what happens when it's a troublesome bear? I mean, is it something? They can die. Well,
0: we try not to kill them, yeah. but you know there's rules about it, and but you know you can't you you can't take the chance. Um, in 213, I'm looking in my office right now. I have uh, a necklace of great big giant bear teeth from one that got shot at. Oh wow! The Oz at 213, right by Cabin One. I mean, the the you just can't. He was a 10-foot bear, you know, a 1,000-plus-pound bear, and he just wouldn't stay out of the camp area, the lodge area, ever. No matter right. we shot him in the butt five times with birdshot, you know, through rocks. No at kidding. Him. The bear dogs are biting him every day. And, you know, the uh, we, so every lodge, every camp area has what are called Kamchatka leicas, which is a uh, specific breed to Kamchatka, of bear dog. Oh, wow. Yeah, what do they look like? They look like a husky, but they have a curly tail, big fluffy curly tail. And on my Facebook page, I have video, drone video of our three dogs biting and chasing a bear right at the lodge area. And, you know, they're, they they do a really good job, but sometimes the bears are, you know, and they're,
1: oh yeah, they're big, 1,000 pounds. Yeah, they're big, you know. Has anybody ever been, uh, has anybody ever died or been mangled by a bear up there? No, 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 none of us. No. But you've heard stories? You've heard stories
0: about that? Oh, well, people have to get eaten every year on Kamchatka. But it tends to be locals who, you know, uh, I think an interesting one was, you know, maybe 10 years ago, some miners, some gold miners or whatever, had poached the river so bad on the West Coast somewhere that the bears came. There's no, no, no food and they eight, three miners, right. And had the other 30 trapped in their cabins, you know, Jeez. and, and, and so if the bears have food, it's they're not, they're benign. Yeah. It's when we, you know, when we distress their food source through either overfishing or maybe perhaps a, a bad berry year, mm. um, yep. you know, cause they, they, they go through very specific you know when we went to the mouth of the Azranaya, i drove down there with the guys and there's a commercial fishing base down there and they knew we were coming and they were really cool to us and and uh, <laughs> 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 they had really wild dogs and it was july and the salmon were just starting to come and uh, i asked one of the guys you know can we walk down the beach on the the Bering ocean there. And he's like, do you have a gun? I'm like, no. He says, it's not a good idea. I'm like, why is that? And he says, well, the bears are going to eat you if you do. Yeah. And you know, we went down and we did jump out of the boat right at the mouth and went over to the beach side and there's bear tracks everywhere, huge bears. And so they'll start down at the coast and then move up with the salmon. And, you know, as soon as the salmon show up, the bears are no trouble. Oh, and, and it's kind of the same in bristol bay i think you know yeah same deal just all about the fish everything
1: revolves around well i'm curious will so i mean we've been talking this has been amazing you know all these stories and i, I love it i want to dig back into a, a trip you know like the trips because you mentioned a few different ones you got these cabins you got these trips if i think of myself coming up there i would love to do like throughout the rafts and do kind of a well, it's our it's all remote, but I'd love to kind of check that out. What would be that trip if you wanted to go up there and maybe swing some of these mice or maybe it's get into Stonefly or something like that for these rainbows? How would that raft, can you take us to doing that raft trip, what that looks like?
0: Okay. So two-year, we take four people a week. Um, we have five sets of cabins. One of the things that it really, uh, some of the, f- after working on the Japanova and having some dirty water, I, I, I really um, – one of the words I learned in Russian, chista, which means clear. So chista, it's clear water. Because there's enough clear rivers there that I, I don't have any interest in going to a river that has color or is right. potential for dirty. It just seems crazy to me. And so my Russian partner in 1999 signed a 49-year federal <laughs> lease with the Russian government for the entire two river valley. Wow. So that starts at Tuyurt Lake. Two How do you spell that? Uh well we just call it two T W O Y U R T like Tuyurt. Oh yeah. Two Yeah. So it was a historical area where the the, the reindeer herders would would uh summer was up at the base baseline lo- where the base lodge is and up in the hills there. And, uh, there's not much of that anymore, but he signed a 49 year federal lease. The lake gets, I don't know, half a million sockeye salmon in it. Um, silvers, chums, we've even seen Kings spawning in the lake. Nice. And, um, and he does bear observing, you know, in the summertime in July, you can go down to, uh, it's a 20 minute hike from where we are doing our fly out to upper to lake river, excuse me, upper two year river, you can go there and he's got little towers built and you can see 20 giant brown bears. It's like going to Brooks Falls in Alaska with no people.
1: <laughs>
0: and so, you know, on the far side of that, where it comes out where the outlet is it's really good trout fishing and so we put in uh that's where we do our float trip it's always clear there's no chance of it blowing out so you heli in do you heli into the spot oh yeah yeah you got a heli only and so what we do is uh, uh when we split at, the, uh, at uh, Kazarevsk, the, the Ozernaya, the eight people going to the Oz and the four going to Tuyurt, stay on the big MI-8 helicopter, fly up, drop the Oz guys off, and then fly back down southwest about 25 minutes, grab the staff at Camp 5 on Tuyurt with all the rafts and equipment, and then shuttle the rafts and equipment up to Camp 1 on Tuyurt where the float trip starts. Gotcha. And then the full first day, we used to actually have, um, we don't start at the lake because there's a canyon that's pretty much impassable for rafts. It's not for salmon, but it is for (laughs) rafts. And we used to have a camp right at the mouth of the canyon on the downstream, but the pilots hated it. So we rip that camp out and put one down below where Camp 5 is and use the wood for other stuff, other buildings. And so the full first day on that program, we hike up towards the lake. And it looks a lot like a Rocky Mountain trout stream, except there'll be 50-pound salmon spawning in it, chums, kings, and the rainbows. So one thing we can talk about a little bit is, is rainbows of Kamchatka are like rainbows of Alaska. They migrate significantly. And so the Tuya River flows into a giant river called the Ilovka, which is bigger than the Willamette. And then that flows into the Kamchatka River, which is, you know, like I said, two-thirds the volume of the Columbia, and you know has giant rainbows in it and those rainbows follow the salmon up into two where we do our float trip. And so the first day we walk up and you can skate, you can dry fly fish, streamer fish. You know, a lot of guys, frankly, will just put on a black and white Dalai Lama and they may not use a different fly the rest of the week because it's just that's all you really need.
1: And what is the, describe the Dalai Lama, that fly, what is that? Well, it's a black and white streamer with a, with
0: shiny Mylar in it. It's just like a bait fish pattern or something like that. Yeah. It's this big streamer pattern and you downstream and across swing it. And you know, you can, I tell guys, you could use one of those all week. Um, we, we don't use. So when I guide in Chemtcheka, I take basically, uh, three spools of tippet with me. I take, uh, uh, well, four, I'll take 10 pound maximum ultra green, 12 pound maximum ultra green and 15 pound maximum ultra green. That's that steelhead fishing right there. That's steelhead yep. <laughs> for rainbows. And then I'll take maybe a two X spool. I'll take a two X or one X spool for dry flies. Yeah. And you know, so we don't lose flies very much and you downstream and across and let it hang. And so the first day we, we hike up, fish back down to the camp and it depends on client's ability like if i have young bucks we'll hike almost to the mouth of the almost to the lake and you fish in the canyon area and i mean it can be guilty kind of fishing i have a couple of docks out of hayden idaho and they they've gone a few times they're always like god that place makes me feel guilty because there's so many trout there yeah it's easy yeah it's super easy
1: Are you guys getting them on the surface too? When you say dry flies, are you throwing out a a Hendrickson sort of thing or a stonefly on the surface?
0: Sure, of course. And so day two, on the first full day of floating on two yurt, you go from camp one to what we call birch camp. And uh, camp one, I don't have a good name for it. We call it camp one. And we every place has two story dining room, uh, staff quarters. Every guest gets a little A frame, two people to an A frame, wood stoves. It's pretty nice, hot showers.
1: Now this is Camp One. Tell me, let me get back to this. So they drop you in yep. when you drop into Camp One. You're actually at a place that has an actual facility.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's three cabins. There's a dining room. There's shower building. There's flush toilet outhouses. Gotcha. It's pretty yeah. nice. And you can walk 25 yards to the river and immediately catch a fish right there. So, <laughs> the guys, one of the things that I think it's really key to our program is we get on that bus, we jump on the helicopter, we fly out. And for the Oz and the, the two-year float, Oz Jet Boat Lodge and two-year float program, those guys catch trout that day. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The day they left Anchorage, they're going to hook a trout that afternoon. And our flyout program, which I'll tell you about a little bit later, you, you, we don't really fish that first day. We sit in the hot springs. And, um, but. Which isn't bad either, which is pretty nice. Nah, it's not too bad. And, and so uh, then the first full day of floating from Camp 1 to Birch Camp, Camp 2. I consider that one of the most spectacular stretches of rainbow trout fishing anywhere in the world. It's like the Madison River. It's kind of, you know, got some chop on it. Maybe if you fish by Reynolds Pass Bridge um, on the Madison, it looks a lot like that. But you can get out. (laughs) There's a big spring creek. The Kumnan Kucher that comes in about half a mile down from Camp One. And you can get out down below there and upstream dry fly fish. You throw in big sofa pillows or chubby Chernobyls, things like that, for sure. Um, it's got really, really good dry fly fishing. Um, and, wow. you know, there can be hatches, you know, later in the season, there'll be some betas hatches, uh, green drake hatches early in the year. Um, the first time I floated the whole two-year system um, in 2001 in July, it was crazy caddis fishing, man. I just skated caddis wow. all day long.
1: Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Togans Fly Shop, providing superior quality products at an affordable price, an amazing resource for fly tying materials, tools, and fly fishing accessories. Togans has you covered when looking for unique in-house products, but also supports and supplies materials and tools from other leading fly brands you know and trust. Togans is now offering their mystery fly tying box, where they simplify the process for you in choosing materials You're only one click away from these hand-picked subscription tying boxes that are packed with value at almost half the cost. And I recently made a order through Togans, and the experience was perfect. After a uh, recent trip uh, nipping for Trout, I had to replace my tungsten beads and some jig hooks and a few other items. The products arrived in a couple of days from Togans with a nice little card, a bonus value, and a welcome note from the Togans family. Since 2005, Togens has been over-delivering on price and customer service, so it's time to discover for yourself what the buzz is all about. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Togans and take a look at their diverse selection of products today. That's wetflyswing.com slash T-O-G-E-N-S. Togans. Okay, now back to the show. Is this the case? It sounds like if you make the comparison for somebody who knows like uh, Oregon, Washington, California, west side, or, you know, west side, east side. So you have the rain shadow effect on Kemcheka, So you're getting all these bugs on the east side. Is that the same sort of thing that's going on here?
0: Oh, there's bugs on every river in Kamchatka. Even on the west side? Yeah, 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 yeah. Everywhere.
1: So why is that? Why is that compared to, yeah, say the U.S.? Why would there be bugs? Is it just a desert, more of like a, it's a forest, but, you know, again, you think of the west side of California, Washington, Oregon, where you have- It's
0: not that rain shadowy. It's not like Bend, Oregon, where it becomes high desert. No, it still gets enough rain that it's rain, you know?
1: Yeah, and the bugs come from just, it's a different
0: uh, environment. Yeah, it's warm. The rivers are warm. warm. They have really good alkalinity. You know, they have uh, no anchor ice in the winter.
1: What's the latitude? Or I always get those good <laughs> latitude. Well, latitude. like
0: the odds is fifty-six, about the same as anywhere in Bristol Bay. Oh, wow. Yeah, but but it, it, you know, Kamchatka goes straight north-south. So when you get way down south, it's it's much. You know, it's almost four hundred miles. From Petro to the Oz program, three hundred miles to two year program, like the Fly Shop Savanka oh. program is.
1: What's the tip? What's the tip? If you go down the south southern tip of Kamchatka, uh, if you went across to the U.S., what where would you run into it?
0: It'd be B.C. Prince Rupert.
1: Yeah, so it's still way high. So I, I'm trying to get to that point. Like why? Because it's cold as crap up there. Well, it is there too, but uh, but B.C. You're not going to have quite the bugs,
0: right? In the winter time, it's insanely cold in Kamchatka, fifty below. But the rivers are warm spring influenced They have all oh, that geothermal. There's 29 the geothermal. active volcanoes on Kamchatka. That's it. Like my cabin at Two Year Base Lodge, where we do rainbows from above our flyout program. We have geothermal heat. We have geothermal water in the kitchen. I mean, that's amazing.
1: And so that's what it is. So it's the ge- It's really the volcanic, which is the big difference.
0: Yeah, it's really, really, really volcanic influence. Every river is runs pretty warm year round. And uh, even in the summer, I mean, like the summer of two sixteen, we had super hot, dry, low water. It was warm, man. Those rivers were, it was a little bit dangerous to fish them even. Although I think the rainbows are a little bit used to more warm water there um, than, say, the Alaska rainbows.
1: Um, so are you seeing volcanic, like on the volcanic activity, are you seeing that like coming in, you're seeing oh stuff gosh. or it's everywhere. I mean, I'm, I, you're talking to a, a noob here, so it's like, i try to get a picture of this, like, is this, you know, kind of like a Hawaii, you know, sort of thing where things are sometimes, split? yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, so on our float trip, when you get down between, I think camp four and five and three and four, and you look. To the east, you can see Shiveluch, which is erupting almost continuously every day. You can see it. And you can see it. You yeah, you you're, you. If it's at all clear, you're going to see erupting volcanoes when you go to Kamchatka.
1: This is this is crazy. So, so this is cool. So, Camp One, Camp Two. And take us down. So we got, and every time we hit a camp, you're going into a, basically a little mini lodge and just hanging out, getting
0: ready for the next day. Yeah, yeah. Mini lodge. Camp Two is my favorite of all of them because it's up on a bluff It's it's set in the birch trees um most of the time the guys are coming off numerically the most insane rainbow fishing they'll ever see mousing it's braided a little bit above camp two spectacular stunning setting what's called canoe mountain is right there and you have the giant mountains to the west really stunning and then below there from camp two to three, the river changes and becomes more spring Creek like and big flowing. You still can get out and wade everywhere and, and the big flowing areas of that Kemchaka buttercup. Um, it's where there are a lot of big spawning reds for the Kings and you can have crazy trout fishing in those big spawning reds, um, Two yurt is also in what they call the uh, Tamarack Island of Kamchatka, oh, where you nice. have tamarack trees as Those well. Are cool, yeah, and uh, really stunningly beautiful fishing there, but more Spring Creek like. And then between uh, Camp Three and Four is the only stretch where you pretty much fish just from the boat. Um, oh wow! Yeah, the river gets much more channelized big undercut banks, sweepers, big flowing mats is oftentimes where we'll numerically catch the least amount of fish, but the biggest ones,
1: the biggest, what, what is the, what are you guys using for boats? What are these rafts?
0: Oh, they're just 18 foot, uh, 20 oh, they're foot. Big. Yeah. 18 they're footers, two people in a boat. You know, I'd like to have some shwankier boats, but you know, getting stuff to Kamchatka is still not easy and it, it's super expensive and you know
1: oh i see yeah i'm surprised like you you don't have just like a nice little 14 foot oh god them, like, i wish fly we fishing did. frames and all that stuff right
0: well we have frames on them you know but uh, the fact of the matter is uh, so there's one fly shop in petropavlosk right yeah and 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 the cheapest version of sims waders, which you could buy for 250 bucks and and, and at front range anglers here in boulder is a thousand bucks
1: oh everything's everything's four times or five times as much
0: yeah and well that kind of stuff is some things are not like maybe fish or food certain things yeah raft's gonna cost you some some change oh raft's gonna blister you right um you can get outboard motors maybe cheaper but aluminum boat, an aluminum job boat is going to be three times as much. A pair of waders, you know, I take 10 pairs of waders with me every summer for the guides because gotcha. it, they, it's a thousand bucks if they want it. And the guys in the shop will look at them and go, if you don't want to go away, you know, wait, wade, <laughs> wet.
1: Right? <laughs> how do you get the jet boats? I'm not sure how big these boats are. Do you fly those? How do you get those things in there?
0: Well, they get shoved in the MI8 helicopter things can carry 10,000 pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And they have the big clamshell doors in the back. Yeah. I've been in it where we've had four jet sleds, four out, but so much stuff in it. It's insane.
1: So these are the gigantic
0: double prop uh, Chinook type helicopters. No, one, one helicopter, one prop, but, but they're big and they, you know, they have different versions of them and and they're really just flying tractors or twin turbines. They're really great machines. When you hear about wrecks, it's almost a hundred percent of the time, uh,
1: pilot error. Yeah. It's pilot error. Have you had any close encounters on the, the wreck, you know, in those helicopters over the years?
0: No, not really. It's been pretty good.
1: Um, no, this is good. Well, I think, I think we're, I mean, I'm trying to paint a picture of what it's like. And I mean, obviously we're, I think we're doing a good job there. Um, so when you're on the river, it sounds like anything goes on this, on the two year, you can catch them any way you want and you're working down. So as you get down to camp four and then five is you're back at the lodge, is that where you kind of meet up? Camp
0: four to five, there's, well, they're all, you know, like mini lodges and camp four to five, you, uh, for about a first mile, it's, again kind of that channelized deep water but then it totally changes and is like it's like the alagnac or one of these braided rivers and becomes really braided and beautiful and just really spectacular braided water um that we don't ever get enough time to fish all of it um we catch it's really really nice down uh between camp Uh, One and two and camp four and five are my favorite stretches of that river. Um, Just really have uh, really good fishing. The thing about it is on the float trip, you need to be a little bit more independent. You know, we can handle uh, the 75-year-old guy who can't walk and he can fish out of the boat all the time. But, you know, those guys, I, I tend to, uh, have them go to the Oz jet boat program. Yeah. They're not going to go into this. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we can, we can, we walk the boat a lot on the Oz because of the demographics of the guests And, you know, it's a great wading river too, but you know, it's all, I have a lot of guys who say I'm a great wader and then you get them out and they're like Mark Spitz, right? They're swimming (laughs) down the river.
1: So you're thinking, so basically walk the boat as they just stay in the boat and fish while the guides kind of walking the boat
0: down. Yeah, we do that on the jet boat lodge a lot. Oh, the jet boat. and, And on the, on the float trip we can, but you know, walking rafts in deeper water isn't always easy. And so it, it, I really, it, we only take four people a week there. It's real intimate. It tends to be, you know, contiguous groups of guys who know each other. And uh, that, that's where we send our youngest guys. Um, it Generally, it's a float trip. The, the thing that's really cool about two-year is it's always clear. You don't ever have to worry. It could rain like biblical and it's going to be clear, uh, um, which is and you're going to be on the river, so.
1: And you're going to be on the river. What? What is so? Once you get to Camp Five, on that you're doing that float trip. Then what's next for the, your trip? They pick you up. That's the end of the week. That's it. Oh, so then you're doing.
0: So that's seven days, like right there. Well, so it's six nights, six days really five and a half days is what chem check is. Cause it's Monday to Monday flight out of Anchorage and in an yeah, Anchorage. I see. So, so um, okay. you know, and, 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 that's good. And one of the things that I tell people, and we do it a lot is we have a lot of people who stay for two weeks and they'll do, you know, maybe they'll do the Oz Jet Boat Lodge one week, and then they'll go do two-year the next week. Gotcha. Or they'll go, you know, we had a, a, a Bob Fanning out of Indiana who who went for years and years and years, and he'd go do the— Who is this? This is Bob Knight? No, a different guy. Bob Fanning is a, is a super good client. He doesn't go now. He's in his mid-80s and really not healthy enough to go now. but. He used to go really he was a super healthy guy in his late seventies, and would go do uh, the Oz. He would do rainbows from above, our flyout program. And the first few years we we ran it, and then go do the Oz. So he'd do two week trip. So he'd actually get in ten or eleven days of fishing. Ten or eleven days. <laughs> yeah, and you know two different styles. And Jeez. and yeah. so my favorite program, and I, I'd be remiss not to talk about it. Um, is which I started in 214 and I actually did it in 207 for a week um, with a guy and his son who wrote the letter to Callan Kaepernick and told him to kneel instead of sitting on a bench. Oh, wow. And we did it in 207 it worked out okay, but I didn't revisit it in 214 and we go out four people, me and another guide and we get in a little MI2 small helicopter. Maybe we'll use Eurocopters this summer. I don't know exactly. And we fly to a whole bunch. There's about 30 rivers we fly to. And west coast, east coast, out of Two year Base Lodge, where my Russian partner has a spring bear hunting lodge. And we land and we start fishing downriver on our feet. So it's 100% walkway and which i love and um, i've been marking spots on Camp Jacket with my gps since 203 and so we have lots and lots and lots of different kinds of rivers like some of the west coast ones are beautiful spring creeks that are just incredible dry fly fishing some of the east coast ones like our uh, tributaries of the lovki i told you it's like the willamette we fish a bunch of tributaries of it that are more freestone kind of rivers, but uh, like the Levia is one of my favorites. It's just loaded with great big rainbows and they're 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 really Great rainbows. They're they're not you know they're like bullets. They are, fight like crazy. Um, beautiful beautiful river. I we have a guy. He's gonna go again this year. I remember we I took him at two seventeen or eighteen, and he is so funny. We land on the levee at the first day, and it's like. Take a picture. This is the biggest trout I've ever caught. And then he catches another one. Take a picture. This is the biggest trout I've ever caught, right? <laughs> all day long down the river, he's making yeah. me take pictures of the biggest trout he ever caught. And, and they're all swinging. Every single one of them is caught swinging downstream and across. Streamers or mice. Streamers or mice. Streamers or mice. And then, you know, like the West Coast rivers will get over there and there'll be a big hatch of mayflies. And then we'll do, you know, cross stream, upstream, and across mayfly, dry fly fishing. But 99% of it's downstream and across swing.
1: It is 99. So you're almost always doing downstream and across.
0: Almost always downstream and across. And the thing I tell guys is, you know, one of the things, like I mentioned before, if you're making multiple casts to a spot and not catching anything, you're wasting your time. What I like to do is what I call the stroll and fish. You don't have to be quite, it's not like the real hardcore traditional spay, you know, step cast, right? Where you're really, you know, you're anchoring your feet and you're kind of
1: not moving. Sure. Taking like an hour on a little section, a tiny section.
0: No, 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 no. no. I, we stroll and fish. You know, and we bang. So you're
1: swinging, you're moving, you're swinging, and and you might even be walking while you're swinging.
0: Yep, you might even be walking and stripping while you're swinging it. And you know, the slower the water, the more you might strip while you're swinging it. But it's still a downstream and across cast with a swing. And and I like I said earlier, I don't mend. I like, especially if the water's warmer. You know, maybe you'll mend a little bit later in the season when the water gets a little chilly. But most of the time, when the water's warm, I like to let it belly and run faster. Faster is better. Yeah, man, those fish will turn. You'll watch them; they'll turn around and chase it downstream. It's awesome <laughs> fishing. And you, you know, we use a big, big streamer, so you get to watch the fly. And you know, I teach you guys watch that fly. And you'll see that fit. You can watch watch around the fly because you'll start seeing them come chase it, you know. And then you got let them eat a little bit.
1: Oh, you do. So, so they eat it. You see them eat it, and then you just kind of like let them
0: eat it, and then then you feel it. Yeah, I lift. It's a lift set. You know, it's. I, I don't think strip set works very good. I don't think it's it's a bad idea in Kim Jack to let them eat it too long because basically every summer I'll I'll pull hooks out of gullets, they'll gullets, they'll swallow it. Yeah. I mean, if a fake fly, they'll swallow it. Yeah. They'll swallow it. That's right.
1: Are you guys now gear wise, are you, is this like a, a a spay game or just normal single hand game?
0: Seven hand, single hand with floating line is the perfect rod. What
1: is it again? Seven weight, single hander. Yeah. Just seven weight. So nine foot seven weight or whatever. And just dry lines.
0: Nine foot, seven weight. Yeah, some guys like 10 footers. I I don't think because you don't do much mending that a 10 footer gives you really an advantage. And, you know, you're walking through the woods and it can be a little bit of a disadvantage. So nine foot, seven weight, floating line, um, short leaders, you know, with the mouse, I like about a, a six foot leader, total length. Um, with the streamer, maybe seven, eight foot leader, total length. Um, there you go. Real simple kind of system.
1: How do you do it with four guys when you're down there? Is it just uh, – are there two guides on that little the – two- The
0: fly-out program? Yeah, there's yeah. two guides, myself and another guide. Most of the rivers are big enough that we'll just kind of leapfrog down. Um, one of my favorites we call – is named the Starachoke, which is very, very close to the lodge, maybe 10-minute flight from the lodge. is small. It's too small to put – uh, four guys on top of each other. So uh, one guide will drop off with two guests, and then we'll fly the helicopter down maybe a mile in the morning. And the other guys will get out, and the original two guys with the guide will fish down that mile to the helicopter at lunchtime. Once they get there, they jump on the helicopter, come down and find us, uh, the other group of two with the guide, and have lunch, and then do it again. And so when we fish that river, that's how we do it. Most of them are big enough that, uh, you can leapfrog without any, any trouble. Um, you know, you do want to, and one of the things about Kim check is you want to do leapfrog, you want to leave markers. So you, you don't like double fish a spot because you catch every you hook every fish. And e- even, you know, like the star choke, which is small enough, you don't want to fish that two days in a row. It's definitely going to not fish as good the second day.
1: Oh, no kidding. It's not going to fish as good.
0: No, those fish are not, you know, they're, they're apex predators, man. They've been poked with something there. They, but you leave it alone for four or five days and it'll be exactly like you've never been there before.
1: And that's because the fish are just what they have a short memory
0: short memory and they have a short window to feed in, you know, 3 months where they're really going to feed hard. Uh one of our favorite spots is a tributary on our jet boat lodge uh called Lamutskaya. It's this beautiful sp- small rocky spring creek and we hike in there um in August usually twice a week and it's loaded with great big rainbows. But if you did it if you do it, you know, Every day in the same area, it, the, the catch rate definitely drops off, and you know that's why you know like at our Jetboat Lodge, each guide has a beat, and each beat is fifteen miles, right? And so oh, wow. during the week, uh, Igor Shatila, who was is a biologist who worked for us, was really good at it. He would start right at the lodge, and then he, for that first day of his week with the guys he would fish down and then the next day so we rotate guides on on that program we rotate guides so every client every two clients get to see the whole river and then he would start the next day right where he finished the day before and the next day right where he finished the day before and the next day so so nothing gets beat up and at the end of the week you get everything gets a day off and then he'd start all over again, and the, that area would not have been fished for eight days. There you go.
1: No, this is awesome. This is uh. Well, I'm thinking. Will, just as we start to kind of uh, wrap this up a little bit here. <laughs> I'm curious on at the start. You mentioned the nine eleven. You know, two thousand one, which was twenty almost twenty years ago. I remember when that happened. I mean everybody does right, remember where they were and mm-hmm. and I was getting ready to go into a remote spot in the u s but you were sitting there in in Russia, like what was on your mind? Uh, did you know exactly what was going on and did you well, I remember like what did those yeah what did those what did that day the first what were you thinking because
0: I'd imagine if you're in Russia you're like, well uh what am I doing so we were it was because of the time difference. it was early in the morning and and I was actually bent over my lunch cooler cleaning my cooler, getting ready to fill, you know, get the lunches ready and everything behind the, the kitchen camp. This was back when we had the tent camp on the Kolpakova, and, uh, Lena Ivanova, who was our interpreter, and uh, Volodya Butner, who was our head Russian, he had a uh, shortwave radio in his tent with Radio Moscow, and, I'll, and and Lena walked up right behind me, and I'll never forget it. She says, "Will something terrible's happened? Gotta make me cry right now. Um, something terrible has happened," and I'm like, oh, gosh, what? What? What's going on? How do you know? What's What's up?" And she's like, well, 60,000 people are dead in New York City. That's what they had just heard on Radio Moscow. And so I had a satellite phone and I went back to my tent and I called my dad, who lives in Chicago. And I'm like, Dad, what's going on? He's like, you're not going to believe it. It's like straight out of a Hollywood movie. And it was afternoon, so they, they had an idea that there weren't 60,000 people did, but we had just had, uh, 10 fishermen come in the day before. And, um, one couple that were there, their daughter was a stewardess out of LaGuardia. And so we got on my satellite phone, burned up a lot of, a lot of satellite minutes, but called everybody. And, you know, we were all just, it was breathless, right? We, we, we didn't know what to do. I think there was a lot of wandering around in the woods around camp that day. I don't think we fished that day at all. Um, and, and, you know, my dad did say, what are you going to do? I said, we're going to go fishing, Dad, right? And, you know, and was really, really quite stunned everybody was that day. And then we all regrouped, and we, we fished out the week. It's the only time in September we got about 10 inches of snow. On the 13th, <laughs> it was like, wow, how bad did it get? But the worst, the thing that scared me the most was the Russian Navy scrambled. And that night, the night of 9 11, I had my own tent sent back. And I, I don't know why I was awake, but I, I hear something and I jump out of my tent. And the, the Russian Navy was had done a test ICBM firing and shot a rocket. Over south side of Kamchatka, not far from our camp, I could see it Jeez. going across the sky. I'm like, "Oh my god, what is happening?" Right, Whoa. and I called my dad again. Right, <laughs> and he's like, oh, "Nothing is, you know, nothing." And so you're thinking, you're saying, "World War III.
1: Like, exactly. Like, who knows what's going on? I mean, somebody's attacking New York City. It could Russia could be involved, right?
0: Uh, it was it was so terrifying, and and so uh, we actually everybody. And we ended up getting everybody, I think we ended up sending them all home through Seoul, Korea, at the end of the week. And it was two weeks or something. I stayed in Petro and went to the to the internet cafe. It was before Wi-Fi and all that and hung out, you know, in town. And some people were really kind. Some people were like, ah, you you Americans are getting what you deserve. Right. And, you know, so it was somewhat politicized. Um some Europeans I ran into weren't very, very kind. Um no. the Russians were very, very kind, although I remember we had a Russian guide working that year at camp and 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 he had been a Soviet Marine in Afghanistan. And he he I remember very vividly, because we were sitting around and everyone's talking about it, and he's like, You guys, if you go in there, you're gonna find out just what we found out. There's no way to win it. Cause you go into these valleys, hey, how you doing? And then you turn around and walk out, and they're shooting you. Oh wow, well, yeah, right. And Jeez. and so, what did we find out? What did we find out twenty years later? Yeah, and, exactly. And we ended up taking a group of guys uh, with a Kenny Morris group and floating two year, and it was all, you know, ended up what it was. But I, it was. It's one of those moments in life. I can I could take you right to the spot, and I can just. I know.
1: I know. It was weird. It was, I know in in the U S it was weird because there were no planes flying for a certain amount of time. Right. You could look up and not hear any planes, but, um, no, I, I, I think you did the right move. Just, just keep fishing. I guess that's kind of the goal for all of us, right? I mean, when the shit hits the fan, if we're on the water, it's probably going to be better. Yeah.
0: Just keep going. And you know, that touches one thing because all the stuff I've been through with Kim with the ups and downs, with the airlines, with the ups and downs, with the partnerships and with ups and downs, That place and the people, I probably haven't mentioned the people enough.
1: Yeah, the people.
0: I mean, Svetlana, Yegor. Yegor was his birthday the other day, the 16th. I've known him since he was 11 years old. He's Svetlana's son. Since he's 11, all through his teenage years, he worked as a camp hand. We trained him in 2012 to be a guide on Oz. He just had his 34th birthday Um, he's my right hand man. I mean, he is honest, hardworking, you you know, industrious there. These guys can do anything because they, they don't have home Depot to run to. And it wasn't that long ago. We were up at two at the Oz lodge. Yegor and I are messing around trying to get the shower. There was something messed up on the shower and I, and and I never forget it. He's, I said, I'm going to go get a wrench. And he looks at me and goes. Okay, American, go get the wrench. By the time you get it back, I'll have it apart and back together. <laughs> nice. Which is true. Which he did. I, instead of going to get the wrench, I'm like, all right. And he, you know, he wrestled it off with his hands. And they're super industrious. They could do anything. And you know, I, I, I think that. You know, the assumption is that they're political they, they're they just like we are they want to work yeah they want to have food for their kids yep. they want to go on vacation you know they don't care this is they don't care i
1: know i know the politics and we mentioned that a little off air you know we just talked chatted briefly i mean i think all of us you know the politics are there but but everybody is actually a lot more alike than we're different. You know, it's just no that question. the politics tend to break people away from each other, which is crazy, right? Like nobody wants that, but that's kind of what happens.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I, I think that uh, unfortunately, um, you know, one one of the things that is unfortunate is, and Putin has said it a number of times, the worst thing to happen ever, he thinks, and. 20th century was a breakup of the soviet union i don't know if that's the case oh, really? but i i can tell you that after it broke up and perestroika in the mid-90s man those people had it really 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 tough oh right there was no food there was in petropavlovsk no. in the winter time there would be no heat oh wow so you were and you were there breaking so
1: 90 yeah 95 when the 97
0: so- was when i first went yeah when that happened you were actually doing trips yeah, so and Cap My Lodge started in '92, and they did a few, and they did a few in '95. If you, I don't know, if, or '96, they did a few, but then I went over in '97. But I mean, as an example, in the '98, the summer of '98, and the Russian government defaulted on their IMF loans, and the ruble went from six to one of the dollar to twenty-four to one Jeez. overnight, oh. and you couldn't get anything. You couldn't buy a loaf of bread.
1: So how did you guys do those trips back then? You were just, uh, I mean, because I mean, you put that all, you put this whole thing together, everything we talked about, this 30-year thing, you put together during the collapse of the Soviet Union.
0: Well, no, I, back then I was working with uh, My Lodge. Oh, uh, they were doing it right. Yeah, so they were doing it. I was, you know, as they would tell you in 97, I was just a guide by 98. I had kind of made my, you know, made my name with the Russians there. They liked me and, and, and knew I would work as hard as they would and then and, and was a a knucklehead american who really loved people and and loved the wilderness and Svetlana always you know they'll they'll quiz Svetlana about Kimchak all the time and she'll look at our guests and say don't ask me ask Will he loves this place more than the russians
1: <laughs> you know the history of the whole thing better than uh, even the local you
0: know it's it's a spot so one of the things i've always felt and is is we are bearing witness on Kamchatka, we are bearing witness to the last great Pacific wilderness, and if we don't look at it, and see, you know, when and one of the things that's very frustrating to me, and you know, I and I commend stuff that happens like the Elwa dams being taken down over the last decade. I commend that. I think it's a wonderful, incredible thing. But you have this, we you know, there's this huge peninsula in Russia that has an abundance of totally untouched river systems that, you know, we can as humans go see and not impact, but bear witness to what mother nature wants to give us, which is just an insane amount of abundance.
1: Yeah, it's, it's abundant. I mean, the picture you painted today, You know, and this is pretty cool because I think this is, uh, I think when we broke the record for the Wet Fly Swing podcast, I think this is going to be our longest uh, ever, which is awesome because I still have, I could still talk to you another two hours, I think, because, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's like the the volcanoes, the bears, the the remoteness, the, uh, I mean, everything you talked about, I mean, now my perspective on it is even better than I was thinking it was going to be, right? So now, yeah, it's crazy.
0: And I haven't even mentioned probably one of my favorite things, which are the stellar sea eagles or the gear falcons. Yeah. Or every single day you can look up and see peregrine falcons flying over. Oh, where do people? So
1: right now we're not going to get to it all. We 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 tried our best. You know, we yep. tried to do it all. But where would you send somebody if they want to like get a feel, maybe watch some videos, get some information? Where, where could somebody go to just to learn more about or just you know get more
0: inspired? So, Explore Kamchatka has a nice website. It's explorekamchatka.com. dot com. It's um. Uh, run by uh, Martha Madsen, who's an expat American who married a Russian guy back in the early 90s. And she has a nice bed and breakfast and stuff. I, I definitely send people there um, if they want to spend more than one week. They, that, that's really a good resource. Um, I try on my Facebook page, and my w- more than my website, but my Facebook page, The Best of can Check, okay. a Facebook page. I have tons and tons and tons and tons of videos. Oh, cool. Um, you know, and and you can, you know, National Geographic has quite a bit of stuff. Um, you know, one of the things that's always been so interesting is you, you Google Alaska fly fishing and you'll get like 40 million pages. You Google Kamchatka fly fishing and you'll get 14,000 pages.
1: 14th. And is that, and again, let's talk one quick briefing because people that are still listening now, they're obviously diehards. You know, they want to, you know, they want to do this thing. What is, give us a cost, like what to do this trip. What is somebody, I know obviously it's going to be at, at the upper level, but what 10 is, to
0: 15 grand.
1: So ten to fifteen. So so you could do this thing for ten grand, and then fifteen grand is going to get you the the fly out program.
0: The yeah. Out. So where you're flying every day, the ten grand is going to the ninety five hundred is going to get you a float trip. But then you know, uh, so our price sixty nine ninety five for the float trip, eighty six hundred for the jet boat lodge, eleven five for the daily flyout. So they're in line with. A lot of the Alaska programs, you yeah, know, similar. the the flight from Anchorage one is often what takes people's breath away. It's two grand. It's always been two grand. In '97, it was two grand, and so you know that that's a big hit. So
1: two grand plus the yeah, whatever five hundred thousand to get up from the states up to
0: five hundred bucks. Yeah, and then... so you're looking at two five. Yeah,
1: I mean potentially at a minimum you're going to be in ten k for your yep. minimum trip
0: and yep, probably a little yep, more. Yep. Yeah. That,
1: Which is, which is again, like we're talking, the picture we painted here is like, this is a bucket list trip. This isn't like a trip, you know, uh, that everybody's going to do every year, but it seems like one that, you know what I mean? If you're into this, if this is resonating, then if they wanted to do this, you would say either, like you said, there's two options. They either reach out to you or, or the fly shop.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing about it is, and I don't grind on people on the phone, but I pick up my telephone. When people call me, I like to talk to them. I want to oh, yeah. hear,
1: call. So well, call they you.
0: can call me and, you know, I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to listen and I'm going to, you know, put you in the right direction. If guy wants to go salmon fishing, and Cheque, I'm going to tell him, don't bother because the, 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 the logistics aren't worked out yet. You know, there is one Russian guy who's doing some stuff on uh, Bolshaya River on the West Coast, but I've never fished with him there. I don't know anything about it, you know, it, 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 for salmon. I I, I I just think for salmon, but for big rainbows on the surface, you can't beat Kamchatka. And, you know, so call me or email me. I, I'll give you the straight skinny and we'll go from there. I mean, it's not for everybody.
1: Yeah. Well what's the uh so to find and to get your number that's at uh, your website. Remind us again where where your website, where they can find that phone number. The
0: Thebestofkimchatka.com.
1: The com. Okay.
0: Yeah, and you can Google it, it'll come right up. And I work with a bunch of booking agents. Or I'm an Orvis endorsed outfitter. We do a lot of work with Yellow Dog over the years. Um, You know, and people are free to call them. Obviously, 80% of the people book with me direct. The thing about it is, and some people come every year, but there are also a lot of guys, you know, I've had guys, they come one year and then they come 10 years later. That's great. We, I've always said, you know, I don't want people to darken my doorstep one time. So we're gonna push hard to make it a great trip, so we can see people multiple times. I mean, we have about, if it was year on year, about fifty, sixty percent of our guests are repeats, um, because it is a an expensive trip. You know, the bucket list thing. Eh. It it, it is a bucket list trip. I'd be remiss to, to say that's not true. But at the same time, you know, one of the things that's a little frustrating is there's a lot of lodges in Alaska who have a dozen hardcore trout guides that go every year who've never tried Kimchatka.
1: I know. That's the crazy thing because, yeah, if you're doing a trip
0: up there. I don't understand
1: it. Why wouldn't you want to do a lot? La- and I actually, it was funny because we just had somebody on, I think, well, it was the My, I think it was Dryfly John. He, knack
0: Knack River Lodge, guys. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Knack Knack. Yeah. And he talked about it. I mean, he basically said, we were talking about the people that come up, that come up every year. And, uh, and some of them, it was interesting because it sounded like, well, they do like one trip a year, some of them. And like, why not do make that one trip Kamchatka instead of Alaska one of these years? <laughs>
0: Why not every five years, go to Kamchatka, you know, and, and at least look at it. And and some of them, you know, that go to the real high end lodges, the Rainbow Kings, the Enchanted Lakes that are twelve thousand bucks, or mission lodges that are real swanky. You know, Kamchatka is not swanky.
1: No, it's not swanky. Yeah, it's not for that person. This is the person that wants a cool. But
0: it should be for if they're a real trout fisherman. Yeah. And each one of those lodges has a dozen hardcore real trout fishermen who haven't tried Kamchatka. I don't understand it I, I, I because I think if I got them to rainbows from above and I flew them over to what we call the Nelson or the Ali, which I consider the greatest of all time, is my code names for a couple of rivers we fish. Yeah. I, I think they look at me. One time, I had some guys. I took them, and uh, the first morning on the Nelson, and they're like, "Did you do something to our breakfast? What's going on here?" I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He's never seen anything like it, man. You're catching ten pound rainbows on mice, you know, five pounders one after the other, after the other, after the other, and the crystal clear, weedy thigh deep spring Creek that you can stroll down when you're 70 years old. eh? And, 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 and so, and, and so I don't, I've always been struggled with why we don't get those guys who go year after year to those high end lodges, but maybe they just want to swank. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I I think that, I think you've made a good, I think there's going to be some people get connected with you from this one, because it, it does sound a little bit like a, um, almost like an alternate reality. You know what I mean? Like it's not real it's so crazy. Like I listened to it that what we just talked about here, it just seems like, wow, all this is real. It seems like, you know, it takes a little bit of work. It's a time machine. Yeah. A time machine. Exactly. And Alaska doesn't, even though Alaska is Alaska and it's got 20 million acre refuges and stuff, it's still, you're saying that this is like, you know, uh, it's a different level.
0: Well, you know, I guided for years on Moraine Creek, you know, and you land at the lower pothole or at Crosswinds, you know, when back in the 90s, when we'd land at Crosswinds, there'd be two other planes. When I talk to some of these guys now, there's 15 other planes every day, you know, and we, we land at the tributary of the Shishay, I'm a hundred percent sure we're the only ones who fish it ever.
1: Yeah, that's it and it's doable yeah. it's literally you know maybe one more yeah. flight or whatever but it's definitely doable nice will well this has been a lot of fun you're welcome dave yeah yeah no this has been great do you think we've uh it feels like we touched on a little bit of everything and maybe uh i'm not sure did, did we miss anything today do you feel pretty good about it
0: no i don't think so i wish i talked a little bit more about how beautiful it was and a little bit more about the incredible nature of the russian people that i've worked with you know yeah but Maybe we could do this.
1: Maybe we can get you back on at a later point, you know, in a couple of years and maybe there's some changes and we could talk about another, you know what I mean? Digging, maybe you got salmon going or something else, but I think the people. Oh, I got some
0: things in the works that might be worth talking about.
1: Yeah, you got some things in the work. Good, good. I'll circle back around to you because uh, we, we broke the wet fly swing record today. So I think we could uh, follow that up with something <laughs> good. So uh, I appreciate everything, Will, and, uh, and, and all the information today. And then it was a great talking
0: to you. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate you, you, you letting me uh, talk to your people. And if I can help anybody, just give me a shout.
1: So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all the links, and everything else we covered today, head over to com slash 283-283. We'll get you some cool videos, some cool stuff there. Uh, Dom should have listed uh, some good stuff to keep this going. So if you head over to the blog post at that URL, 283 283- click the link in the show notes that'll take you right over there and you can keep this going and you can also ask a pro if you want to keep this going if you have a question for will about this trip uh, anything else just head over to wetflyswing.com slash ask a pro and just make a note there that you have a question and i'll follow up with you and then also uh, we could use it on the upcoming episode if you would like that's pretty much all i have for you today i appreciate you for supporting the show and listening all the way till the end here looking forward to catching up with you on that next episode and if you want you can catch up with me online and on the river as we've got some trips coming up here in this next year so let me know thanks again and i will talk to you soon thanks for listening to the wet fly swing fly fishing show for notes and links from this episode visit wetflyswing.com.